Thanks for tuning in to our Neighborhood Church podcast. Join us on Sunday at any of our locations. To learn more about our church, visit neighborhoodchurch.com or download our church app. I'm glad you're here. My name is Mike, one of the pastors here. And it's wonderful to learn about God. And it's also wonderful to learn about new things in life, new practices, and discover the intended way of things. I don't know if you've noticed there's some products out there that we may be not using correctly. By the way, did you know like a soda can like this, the, the, when you pull open the, the top, it actually is a straw holder. You pull the straw over like that, and you put that in, and lo and behold, the straw doesn't fall out. Ooh. How many of you knew that? Yeah, a few of you. Yeah, some of that. Also, uh, the straws in the, in the Starbucks cup, uh, one person told me, no, no, you put it in this way. Uh, with these little ridges up here because that tells you how far your lips should go. And I went, oh, I think it's supposed to go the other way. Wait, the other way because that way the lid doesn't fall out. You all knew that, right? Yeah, okay, okay, that's one's a good one. Okay, what about a banana? Some people do it this way. Oh, no, 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 no. If you ever watched a monkey eat a banana, they open it this way. It's so much easier. And by the way, did you know that a banana splits into three even parts? Yeah, anybody hungry for banana? What? Really? Okay, there you go. Okay. Okay, some of you, uh, some of you know Tic Tacs? You know there's a little uh, a container on the inside that looks like it's round circular? It's supposed to be a dispenser. So look, a Tic Tac comes right out there. Isn't that fun? How many of you have a friend sitting next to you that needs a Tic Tac? Anybody over here? Okay. Here you go, Micah. You're sitting next to your wife, Yvonne, which is great. Okay, what about this thing? How many of you ever tried to put a, uh, a, uh, um, a, a key on one of these key rings and broken a nail, right? Well, do you know the best way to do that is get a staple remover, and you just simply go in there and get that just right, and there it is. It's all open. Wow. <laughs> Things you didn't know that now you know. And then, of course, um, there's the toilet paper roll. Is it over or is it under? How many of you say under? None of you say under? Oh, man, this has been a controversy for years. Actually, it truly is over because beards are better than mullets. But actually, if you look at the patent of toilet paper, and toilet paper has a patent, its design was to be over because it's more sanitary. This way it sits, can sit against the wall, and that's not good. And now you know. Now, for, for a lot of you, uh, you knew these things, and, and that's great. Some of you, that was a revelation. I didn't know that. And others maybe even get frustrated or maybe even defensive because we've always done it that way. We put the toilet paper on that way. And be it pride or insecurity or we don't like being wrong, it's, or we just want to be a curmudgeon, uh, we can push back. And sometimes we can push back really hard. <laughs> well, that is where, yet even more intense, the religious leaders were after Stephen had exposed their misunderstanding of God and their resistance to the Holy Spirit leading and coaching. Uh, in Acts chapter 7, verses 1 to 60, which we're going to be looking at this morning. 
In and through this chapter, there are three actions that arise in embracing our limitless God. For embracing the limitless, guiding nature of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, leads us to thrive. And so I would like for this morning for us to explore this very long discourse. It's the longest one in the Bible book of Acts, Acts chapter 7. And as we continue in our study of the Bible book of Acts and see what God may be saying to us, maybe we might even learn something new. But before we do, if you wouldn't mind standing to your feet, let's pray. Father God, you um, brought us here. And you wanted us to gain something not only from our time together with each other and in, in our worship, but also from the time in your word. And so, Lord, I pray that you would bless this time. Open us up uh, to you, Holy Spirit, to teach us and to guide us. May we not be like the religious leaders that we're going to learn that resisted you, but actually be open. And may you teach us, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can have a seat, and I encourage you to take out of your worship, uh, take out your worship folder and, and turn it over. That card that, that uh, was talked about earlier, that's really important to us. Uh, if you wouldn't mind writing your name there and then put a prayer request on the back, we'd love that. Of, of everybody would be great because I love praying for you guys. I pray all the time for you. There are some blanks to fill in. The answers will be up on the screen. And if you're watching uh, at our pre-recorded or recorded and then live stream, that, well, it's not live stream, that's going to be happening today. Thank you. Welcome. It is, all can be found on our website uh, we also do have a revived section of our website. encourage you to peruse that. And then especially today, pick up one of our study guides in the lobby because I'm going to mention a bazillion extra verses. You think I've mentioned a lot before. This is just takes the cake. Because what Stephen does is he goes through and recounts Israel's history. And I want to tell you where those places are so you can read them yourselves. John read Chronicles. I don't, I don't mention Chronicles. I mentioned a lot of Genesis and Exodus in there, and, and you can read all about those things, and, and there's great helps and, and questions. Our life groups use a lot of these questions, but uh, there's also some links in there that will be helpful for you to, as you continue the study. And on that revived section of our website, there's a connection to our podcast, which we do most each week, and great opportunity for you to delve deeper. Well, if you wouldn't mind taking your Bibles and opening to the Bible book of Acts, we're in Acts chapter 7. I'll kind of go through what's gone on in a minute, but Acts chapter 7, verse 1, it starts out like this. And the high priest said to Stephen, are these things so? Stephen was, was falsely accused and brought before for questioning. Now, now, Stephen had been chosen to help administrate a need of a growing church in Jerusalem that we talked about last week. And not only that, God had used Stephen to, to teach and do many miracles and signs and wonders to perform miracles that show off the power and the reality of God. Now, we're not sure exactly what he did, but most likely he was healing people who were sick, and they were all being seen as signs, because it says Stephen did signs and wonders. Signs would most likely be giving people sight who didn't have sight. They were blind, or healing the crippled, or those who were tormented by evil spirits, seeing them freed. All causing wonder and being, uh, these things were done in the power and name of Jesus, People's view of Jesus was expanding at that time. People may have thought, maybe Jesus really is the Christ, really is the Messiah. And they were in awe of God's power. The growing attention on Jesus did not sit well with the religious leaders in Jerusalem at that time. And so they questioned Stephen. 
Here are these Pharisees and, and experts in the law. They gather around this common man named Stephen. Not common because he's full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And they questioned him. And here's what came of that. We read it last week, but Acts chapter 6, verse 10. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit which he, Stephen, was speaking. And it was incredible. These were all put to shame. They were firing at him questions about history and all these different things. And everything Stephen answered wonderfully. And so knowing they could not intellectually discredit Stephen, they manipulated and brought false charges against him. That same thing happened to Jesus. And what they were saying is that both Jesus and Stephen were against the temple and the law of Moses. Now these religious leaders had taken two amazing tools, the temple in Jerusalem, before it was called the tabernacle, then it became Jerusalem and its temple, and the law of Moses, the law that was given to Moses from Mount Sinai and given to the children of people. All of that, they had taken that, they had taken those two amazing tools that were meant to draw people closer to God and how to relate to God better. But these people, in a sense, had pushed God out of those and formed a religion of works so that they could be the center and in control. You see, the temple was to show the nature of God and all about all the different articles and elements we're talking about God, and, but also how sin messed up our connection with God and that we need a Savior. And so all those articles point to a Savior in the temple and all the practices as well as the law that came before the tabernacle and the temple. And the law exposed our shortcomings to lead us to a Savior. And yet, all this got twisted into a system of trying to earn favor with God. But Jesus came to bring clarity. And that's why in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it puts it this way. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of your own doing, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one could boast. Because the reality of our human nature is that we're sinful. We all have it, and we all act upon it, some in different ways. But we're sinful. And that sin has an unfortunate reality to it. It rips us out of the presence of God. We can't know him or benefit from the blessing of being in his presence. We can't even become the people that he wants us to be, that he created us to be. Sin holds us back, and it will hold us out of heaven. And there's nothing we can do to earn our way there, even though these religious leaders and that thought that you could do that by being and following the law exactly, by doing all these different things. And that's not true. It comes simply through faith. Jesus came to deal with our sin. That's what he was born to do, and all through his life he showed us how to connect with God And then he paid that ultimate sacrifice on the cross when he gave up his life for all of us and sin was dealt with and all we we need to do to benefit from that is to believe. For by grace you have been saved through faith. So that not of your own doing is a gift of God, not as a result of work so that no one can boast. So Stephen is brought to the Sanhedrin, the council, Uh, And included in that council was the high priest at that time, a number of other priests, this group of people called Sadducees. Uh, They were wealthy religious uh, religious political group uh, connected with the temple in Jerusalem, but also tended to care more about peace with the government, peace with Rome, than faith. And also in that council were Pharisees. 
that pride, pride themselves on, being, on following the law to the very little last bit that God gave to Moses. And they loved having the power to call people out who were not following God's rules or even the rules that they set. So Stephen was brought before this group to answer these false charges that he was speaking against the temple and against the law. And in the next 50-some-odd verses, Stephen basically says to this pride-driven, power-hungry, self-focused group of leaders, you have been going about this thing the wrong way. You've messed and missed the purpose of the temple and the law, and you've misunderstood God even resisting the Holy Spirit. The essence of Stephen's speech is found in verse 48 to 51. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made of hands. In other words, he doesn't just dwell in the temple. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what place, or what place of my rest? Do not my hands make all things? You stiff-necked people, you uncircumcised heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Um, ouch. So let's learn from this speech, this time that uh, Stephen went through and these three actions to embrace our limitless gods so that we aren't like those Pharisees, those Sadducees, those religious leaders. Well, the first of these three actions to embrace our limitless God is to believe in the boundless and loving nature of God. Stephen now goes and recounts a lot of Israel's biblical history. I'm not going to read every verse, but I'm going to give you some of the highlights, and please stay with me. (laughs) I know this is a lot of history, but there's a lot of great lessons in this, and I don't know about you, but I love just picking up the Bible, starting in Genesis, and beginning to read the stories, just for story's sake, and you will be amazed at how God works, and how awesome, and, and limitless, and boundless, and caring God is. And in this, as Stephen talks through this passage and these verses, and Stephen talks of a loving God who pursued his people and that God is boundless. So jump back to verse 2 and 3, and let's look at this. And Stephen said, brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. So Abraham's the first character he's talking about. And our father Abraham, to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. If you want to read about Abraham, Genesis chapter 11, starting around verse 27 all the way through to chapter 25, verse 18, God had chose Abraham. He chose Abraham to be his people and and to be a great nation. The sands of the seashore, stars in the skies wouldn't count the amount of of, of people who are in Abraham's family. And God spoke to Abraham. Even when Abraham was not in the promised land and there was not even a tabernacle, the mobile worship center there, or a temple. Stephen is saying God is not limited to a land or a structure. Please don't box him in. And as well, Abraham would be a great nation, <laughs> but he had no kids. Uh, verse, uh, jump over to verse, last part of verse 5 and, and verse 6. 
talking about Abraham, though he had no children, he would be a great nation, though he had no children. And God spoke to this effect that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others and would, ins- would be enslaved, in effect, for 400 years. Abraham did have a son. His name was Isaac. And way past the childbearing age. If you want to read about that? Genesis chapter 18, all the way to chapter 20. Saying that God keeps his promises and his power is not limited to human restraint. You're too old to have kids? <laughs> Watch what God can do. Remember the angel talking to Mary, mother of Jesus, who'd never been married, never been with a man. And she said, how am I supposed to be pregnant? The angel said in Luke chapter 1, verse 37, for nothing will be impossible for God. Boy, let's not ever forget that. God is boundless and keeps his promises. Jump down to verse 8 of Acts chapter 7. And he gave him, Abraham, the covenant of circumcision. That's a a physical sign to say we are dedicated to God. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on that eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the 12 patriarchs. Here is a quick uh, bit of Israel's history. You can read about Isaac's kids Jacob and Esau in Genesis chapter 25 and chapter 26. That whole story is amazing because Jacob kind of stole Esau's birthright. But Jacob was part of the story and there's a lot about his story. You can read from Genesis chapter 26 all the way to chapter 35 where he is named Israel and has 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. One of those was Joseph, who was wronged by his brothers, and yet as Acts chapter 7 verse 10 says, and rescued him, God rescued him out of all of his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and all of his household. God rescued Jacob. He was going to be killed, rescued him from that. He was, and he was sold into slavery. He was put in jail. And now he becomes, next to Pharaoh, the most powerful one in all of Egypt. Again, God can do anything. Making a slave as powerful as Pharaoh in Egypt. And as Acts chapter 7, verse 11 to 23 reveals, God provided for his people. If you want to read that in history, Genesis chapter 37 to chapter 50 saying God is with his people no matter where they are. See, Stephen is, going to, is saying to these religious leaders who knew these stories by heart and saying, look, look at how God spoke to these people, not in a temple, and God actually was caring for them all along the way and helping through because God provides. He's not bound in a box or in a temple. He's boundless and he cares Well, God continues his provision uh, through a type of savior called Moses. Acts chapter 7, verses 18 to 21. And there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. See, all of Israel came to move and live in Egypt because of Joseph's favor. But there came a time 
And though though, uh, Israel expanded greatly, there came a time when there was a Pharaoh that didn't really know Joseph. And he dealt shrewdly with our race, the race of Israel, and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. Israel was expanding so many just by birth that the Egyptians were saying, if we don't do something, they're going to overrun us. And so they did some horrible things. At that time, Moses was born, verse 20 of Acts 7. He was beautiful in God's sight, and he was brought up for three months in the father's house, verse 21, and when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as one of her own sons. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of Egypt, and he was mighty in the words, in word and deed. Moses was saved in miraculously because God cares about his people and cares deeply. And in Acts chapter 7, verses 30 to 37, Stephen speaks of Moses leading God's people out of slavery. Do you want to read about that? Acts chapter 1 all the way to chapter 12. God was all over getting his people out of the mess that they were into in the land of promise and the land promised to them. Now, sure, it took longer than human expectation, but that's where faith needs to be in our boundless God and his timing. You see, it's so easy for us to put faith in answered expectations. God does this to me, then I'll believe in him. God makes this happen, then I'll believe in him. And, and, and yet, with that, it, it, it's, it's based, that, that's limiting faith and based on only our confirmations. God is not bound by our requests or timing. It takes trust and belief in our boundless God and our boundless caring God. Too much we put our faith in the answers and not in the one who answers. See, because our faith needs to be in God alone, regardless of the outcome. We may pray that we get this job and we don't. It's not that God is not working. It's that he's got something else going on. We may pray and ask for God to take away the sickness, and it doesn't work that way. Ask the apostle Paul with a thorn in his flesh. God didn't remove it so that he could be more powerful in Paul's weakness. We pray that someone will live. And sometimes that doesn't happen. And it's horrible. I've sat too many times by the graveside and by the bed of someone who we all hoped would live. And God had another plan. We don't understand why but we have to put our faith in God more than what we understand because he's boundless and he cares. And that takes a trust and belief in a boundless caring God. God is boundless and Stephen hits home this point. I mean, we read it before in Acts 48 through 50, yet the most high does not dwell in houses made hands as the prophet says, and he's quoting from Isaiah chapter 66, verses 1 and 2. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place in my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? See, God cannot be confined. He is boundless, limitless. He is unsearchable. The Psalm 145, verse 3 says... 
Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. Unsearchable, not that he cannot be found or experienced, but there is no end to the depths and breadths and heights or widths of God. He cannot be fully grasped and cannot be fully understood. God is infinite and boundless. And yet human nature tries and tries again to control and to box in God so that we're comfortable and in ultimate control to fulfill that sinful desire that all of us have to be our own God. These religious leaders of Jesus' time and in the time of Acts and even us today try to limit God, putting faith only in the God we can know or experience. And yet God is, is so much more. God is boundless in wisdom and knowledge. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 20, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. He's beyond our own feelings and comprehension. He knows everything. God is boundless in power, like we shared before in Luke chapter 1, verses, verse Chapter 1, verse 37, for nothing is impossible with God. Godless is boundless in personal presence. Jeremiah 23, verse 24 says, Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? What, what bounds do we put on God? Oh, God can't do that. God won't do, God won't do that for me. I don't deserve that. What kind of bounds do we put on God? We need to bust open the bounds we have and see God for who he is. Unsearchable, boundless, and limitless. Let's take on a belief in our boundless God for embracing the limitless, guiding nature of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We thrive. He leads us to thrive. Stephen, through the Holy Spirit's power, put it to these religious leaders. And it gets even more intense. Let's look at the second action of embracing our limitless God. We are to follow, not resist, the coaching of the Holy Spirit. Now, Stephen was recounting Israel's history. He reminds them of the human propensity to not listen to God and the human tendency to reject and resist his leading. There was jealousy. Maverick jealousy was even found back with Joseph in verse 9 of Acts 7. And the patriarchs, Joseph's brothers, the 12 tribes of Israel, the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him to Egypt, but God was with him. There's a tendency in that human heart to be jealous. We're jealous of this person and that person, and it's a tendency that we have to resist God and, and, and his coaching. We're to be not jealous and just trust in God, not look around us. They got more than me. How come? In Acts chapter 7, verses 24 to 29, Stephen brings out Israel's rejection of Moses. I encourage you to read those verses because it talks about how you know, we don't even want to follow this Moses that God gave us. We want to go back to Egypt. I'll read that in a moment. But, but they reject Moses. And Moses was an incredible leader and redeemer just like Jesus. 
Stephen brings that up because he wants that in their mind when he hits the whammy in a moment. Then in Acts chapter 7, verses 38 to 43, our fathers, he, he talks about how their further rejection of God and Moses, so much so they, as they wandered in the wilderness, so much so that they wanted to go back and worship the idols in Egypt. Our fathers refused to obey him, Moses, but thrust him aside, and in their hearts, this is verse 39 of Acts 7, they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, make us gods, little g, who go before us, as if they could. As for this Moses who led us out of Egypt from the land, or led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. He's up in the mountain getting the Ten Commandments. And, and they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and rejoicing in the works of their hands. They decided, we don't want to go, we, don't, we want a God of our own making. And the truth is, we do the same thing. We like to have a God of our own making. Because we can make an idol out of anything. An idol is anything that place, takes the place of God in our life. As a controlling, most influential, leading element of life. And we are so good at creating idols out of things. Be it a hobby, be it intellect, be it money, be it power, be it political rightness, be it uh, even our family we can make idols out of. All kinds of things we can make idols out that push God aside, just like they pushed Moses aside, and they wanted something that they could look at and tangible, that they could control, that they made. And we read... Stephen, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, says it like it is. Verse 51 to verse 53 of Acts 7. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in your heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one. That's Messiah whom you have betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Ooh, you can almost feel the intensity in the room. Stiff-necked was a judgment of God used in Exodus chapter 33, verse 3, and Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16. It was a horrible uh, announcement of the children of Israel. They were stiff-necked. They were stubborn uncircumcised heart, another judgment of God in Leviticus chapter 26, verse 14. It was a choice not to follow God's way. Not saying anything about the physical circumcision being mandated, but that our hearts should be in submission to God, surrendered and willing to follow his will and way. These people were stiff-necked and uncircumcised in their heart. They had chosen not to follow God and they were stubborn about it. Even to the point where they missed the righteous one. That righteous one is, is Messiah. Peter brought out that term in Acts chapter 3, verse 14. It's the one that everyone looked forward to, the Messiah. To resist the Holy Spirit is to not listen, to ignore God's commands, reject the Holy Spirit's prompting. Now we're going to look in a couple of weeks how to really be full of the Holy Spirit, so be ready for that in a couple of weeks. See, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit 
to those of us who believe, who come to that place of faith where say, I'm sinful, I need a Savior, and it's Jesus. The Holy Spirit is indwelling in part of our life. And his job is, is, is to teach us, John 14, 26. And as John 16, 8 says, to convict the world of their need for a Savior and when we mess up. And as John 16, 13 says, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. The Holy Spirit teaches, he convicts, he guides, and so much more. But in all this, we have a free will to listen or not, to embrace or to resist the Spirit's leading. As Stephen showed these leaders of Israel how they resisted God's leading in the past, and they still are. So the question is, are we? It it takes humility, not being stiff-necked, but being willing to, to be wrong and to be open to God's leading, and He will lead us. Like I said, we're going to talk a lot about that in a couple weeks, but a lot of that happens in community. Here on a Sunday morning when we interact with God's word together in small groups and Bible studies and personal time with other, with other fellow believers. See, embracing the limitless guiding nature of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit leads us to thrive. Well, Stephen demonstrates this third action in embracing our limitless God. We are to stand firm and focused on Jesus. Look at the last few verses, verses 54 to 60. And I want you to notice what Stephen does. Now, when they had heard these things, they were enraged. They were enraged. You know, you stiff-necked, uncircumcised heart. They were just enraged by this. And, and, and they were enraged, and they, they ground their teeth at him. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into the heavens and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said out loud, Behold, I see the heavens open up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with loud voices and stopped their ears and rushed at him. They cast him out of the city and began to throw stones at him as taking rocks, huge rocks, and pummeling him. It doesn't feel good. It it, it is a horrible way to die. And they cast him out and and stoned him. And and the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. You were going to read about Saul in just a couple of weeks. This Saul, whose name was changed to Paul, the Apostle Paul who wrote most of the New Testament. And God used him to see incredible change in life. Man, read on and and enjoy the story of that. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. Do you notice what Stephen doesn't do? He doesn't try to pass blame. He doesn't try to to, to tell them they're wrong. He doesn't even fend for himself. He is laser-locked, focused on Jesus. He sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He prays with this gracious prayer. Don't condemn them, Lord. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus, same way, 
Stephen was focused on Jesus regardless of the circumstances. And honestly, so should we. I know life is tough, difficult. There are horrible things that happen all the time. And yet we're to keep our focus on Jesus. To learn of him. To learn of his teachings and to live life his way. That's what it means to embrace him. For embracing the limitless, guiding nature of God, Father, Son, and Spirit, it leads us to thrive. So yes, it's embarrassing and humbling to learn something we may have been doing and going about wrong or not the way it was designed, be it toilet paper or the way we open a banana. (laughs) And it's so easy for us to be stiff-necked and prideful and even in the practice of our faith. And yet we are to embrace our limitless God, to believe in the boundless and loving nature of God, to follow, not resist, the coaching of the Holy Spirit and to stand firm, focused on Jesus for embracing the limitless, guiding nature of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit leads us to thrive. Will you pray with me? Father God, while walking through all of this history, it's, it's not easy for us to, to reconcile with that. It's so much going on there. And yet, Lord, uh, it is true as we look back that we've seen your hand of care and love. You're not bound to a place. You are the God of heaven and earth, unlimited, unsearchable, boundless. And we want to know you for that, Lord. We want to recognize you and live that. We don't want to be stiff-necked and, and uncircumcised in our heart and, 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 and in any way resist your Spirit's leading. We want to be open. And so be open where we ask you to, be, uh, to teach us and we want to be open now. Challenge us with our own shortcomings. Challenge us with our own issues. Maybe we have put more faith in answered prayer than faith in the one who can answer the prayer. May we trust in you, God, and you alone. Challenge us and continue with us, Lord, walking us through life. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.